electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Melissa Lee in for Scott Wapner today. The S&P and Nasdaq coming off their worst month since March 2020. What will the new trading month bring as more volatility ahead? We'll debate the best strategies for your money. Get you ready for the wave of mega cap earnings this week, beginning with Alphabet after the bell today. Our investment committee, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, and John Najarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. January, it ended with a two-day rally. Stocks trying for a third day of game, something we haven't seen so far this year. All right, now we've got the Dow just up barely 19 points as a gain. S&P 500 up by four points. The Nasdaq up 39. This is basically flat line here as we are watching uh, the 10-year yield hover around 1.81%. Have we seen the worst of this sell-off, Stephanie? What do you think? I don't really know, Mel, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Um, I'm trying to ignore the day-to-day volatility. Um, I'm trying to focus on fundamentals, both from the economic data that we're getting as well as earnings, and we're in the thick of it in terms of earnings, and I love it because we're learning all kinds of things. Um, And I'm trying to use the, the, the distortions in the volatility in the market to look for opportunities. So from the economic point of view, we got a really good ISM number. We're 20 months in a row, by the way, of above 50. That's expansion. The prices paid was very hot. So inflation, we know, is alive and well. Uh, The JOLTS number is up 61% year over year. These two data points are important because the first quarter we know is slow because of Omicron and also supply chain issues. And so we're probably going to see a 2-3% GDP number in the first quarter. Second quarter, as we hopefully get through Omicron, we get a little bit more easing in the supply chain, you're going to start to see a little bit better growth above trend, 3-4%, maybe even more than that. And I think you're going to see if the if the Fed is under control and doesn't go crazy, you'll see about that for the remainder of the year. That's why I actually do have more cyclicals and reopens and more value names in my portfolio than kind of defensive growth. So then that's just on the economic side and, and the data points there. On the earnings side, we've gotten a whole host of companies and, and you know, they're pretty decent, um, but some of them are selling off and I'm making my shopping list. And this is exactly why I have a little extra cash and I have been buying. We'll get to the buys later. But some other names that are on my shopping list, IBM had the best cloud number in a decade, trades at 13 times and it has almost a 5% dividend yield. J&J, double digit pharma growth. It's just consistent double digit, a strong med tech business. That's part of the reopen is utilization rates improve, and they're spinning off consumer. What more could you ask, especially at 16 times with a 2-2 yield? American Express, the hero of the financials so far in my book, beat on earnings, revenues, net interest income. Build Business was up 29% year over year. They increased the dividend, and they're guiding 18 to 20% revenue growth. That stock trades also at 16 and a half times. So you get the point. The, the real kind of messy ones, GE and Boeing, you got to mm-hmm. sift through that noise. And I think the free cash flow numbers at both companies were was very 
very impressive. And that's what I'm looking for at this stage in the game for those companies. So there's a whole litany of names out there. And you've got to use the volatility in the marketplace because I just don't know if we're at the bottom or not. And a lot of it's going to be dependent on the Fed and on the economic data and that sort of thing. So I'm trying to look at and concentrate where I'm seeing real value. And there's a, a bunch of them on my list. The signs have been pretty good from earnings season, Jason. We had a green light, basically, from Apple and Microsoft. Today alone, we had UPS and Cabot beat and raise and, and some tremendous gains on those two names, Jason. So what are we so worried about if we are? And, and do you think that we've seen the worst of it? And, you know, I understand that requires a crystal ball, which none of us have. Otherwise, we would not be here. But if you had your druthers, would you say <laughs> we are probably through the worst of it? Yeah. Yeah, so I hope we are, Mel. I really do. Um, obviously, really strong prints, as you mentioned, from Microsoft last week, as well as Apple, which serve as bellwethers of the market because they represent a lot of the market. You know, but I, I do think if I'm looking at the macro backdrop, we had a GDP print of 6.9 percent. A lot of that was inventory driven. So it's good to see inventory starting to come back. I am still concerned about supply chains. I'm obviously concerned about the CPI print of 7% that we saw recently and, and how inflation uh, looks for the rest of the year. I'm hoping it's moderating. I think it potentially is with wage costs and shelter costs. Um, but I, I, I will say this from a, from a Fed monetary perspective. I think, you know, uh, there have been folks that have been caught off sides, you know, in, in looking at this cycle and moving from one you know, the tapering to a tightening cycle is obviously a very different marketplace and seeking value. So I do think there, there's some volatility ahead, you know, as, as we continue to embrace this new cycle and, and, and managing inflation and supply chains. But there is upside. As you said, earnings have been relatively strong. I do think we'll have a strong print from Google uh, later on this evening. And, and I, think, I think Amazon will be, will be strong as well. And I think that, that'll be good for the market. So you know, time will tell, but I'm, I've kind of been stuck in gear for some time, and, you know, from a neutral perspective and just kind of evaluating uh, what our next move is from a market perspective. Doc, you actually think we have seen the worst of it? Yeah, I, think, I do, uh, Mel. Um, what we're always concentrating on. Oh, sorry. I, I'm Dr. sorry, Dr. J. Josh. <laughs> yeah, we called you. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it, it sounded sort of similar, Mel. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so uh, Pete and I are always looking for those three V's, volume, volatility, velocity. We saw all of that last week during that washout, and we traded 63, 65 million option contracts, Mel, about 20 million more contracts uh, versus the average daily volume so far in 2022, which is, again, at a record pace. So do I think that that kind of signaled a washout, and do I think that signaled that it's going to be a tradable bottom. I do. Do we have to retest it? My technicians say on one side, yes, we ha always retest. And on the other side, I think a lot of the justification, Jason was spot on. Um, you know, you had Microsoft justifying, Apple justifying, today Exxon Mobil and UPS justifying. So I think that we're going to be fine. And I think that we probably washed out last week. We're about two and a half dollars, maybe less from that 200 day again in the, uh, the triple Q, Mel. Um, I think that's a level that'll be very interesting to watch because obviously since it's above us, that's resistance. If we break through it and stay through it for more than a day, then I think we have our answer. 
You know, Josh Brown, just to be clear, Mr. Josh Brown downtown, mm-hmm. um, a lot of people out there are watching uh, the recent gains in the markets, particularly in some of the just the, the bombed out names, the, the high growth, high valuation names, a lot of the work from home names. And they're thinking, did I miss that bottom here? Um, are you better off being a little bit early or, or, or late, like your Christmas decorations behind you? Uh, it's winter wonderland. It's not Christmas. Sorry. Winter wonderland. Listen, uh, I'm glad, Mel, I'm glad you asked that question because I have a very strong take here. Uh, I, I, think, I think what we have to consider is that the market of stocks, uh, different components of the market will act differently going forward. Um, we've had guests on the show talking about everything, uh, everything rallies and and broad-based melt-ups, and some of those calls actually happened. But, like, in this kind of environment, I think it's unrealistic to think that a stock you bought at 300 that's now at 120 and relies on 0% interest rates to be attractive is going to get back to 300, even if the SPX takes out uh, a new all-time high. So I think you're going to have this bifurcation. I talked about it a little bit on the show last week. Uh, in that you're going to have high quality companies with strong balance sheets, the ability to raise uh, prices on consumers and pass the higher costs through, the ability to a- attract employees uh, and pay higher wages, and the ability to do business globally. Those are going to be the stocks that do better. And then you're going to have like kind of these experimental fringe innovative companies where they really do need access to low cost capital for years and years to come and are not expecting uh, to, to see actual cash flows, I think those stocks are going to have a really tough time getting back to where they were. So a big part of the market uh, may have bottomed, but I think there's a very acute uh, need to, to remember that not all stocks are going to be treated equal going forward. So when you look at like UPS, gaps up to an all-time record high, uh, up 15% after earnings. Look at the reaction in Apple, FedEx. Um, you've got companies that, that are thriving in this environment. That's a very different story from, let's say, a biotechnology company that's got three equity raises coming in the next three years to get from phase one to phase two. These names are just going to be treated differently, and, and that's not going to be a disaster for the market. I think the, the group of companies that I talked about being in a good position right now comprise the majority of uh, market cap weighting in the S&P 500 in the Russell 1000. Not a lot of people have to think about some of these names, though, Josh, getting back to where they were if you're looking at them now for a trade, Dr. J. And so I'm wondering if there is a trade here, because there is a notion out there that we are in for a violent reversal, that there's that the market is oversold and everything will bounce and whether or not those bounces last, they are tradable bounces. And I'm wondering if you're if you're in any of these names, Doc, for that. Um, for the most part, Mel, no, uh, I'm not. Um, do I believe in a tradable bounce? Yes, I do. Um, but I'm what I'm looking for is, OK, where are the institutions with those big surges of volumes that we spoke of just a moment ago, um, those surges came at the bottoms of many of these recent ranges. Uh, that's a good sign. So the stocks that saw that mel, that saw people just basically tearing up the trading cards and walking away, that's what I want to see. I saw that in a number of cases. 
Um, I saw that at Apple at 144 or whatever it was. Um, but people don't just want to talk about those stocks. They want to find out, okay, what about the rest of these? And I do think that, uh, you know, look where we are now with the 10-year rate. Uh, the the two-year is doing all the work. You know, Josh has mentioned this numerous times that the two-year is doing the work for the Fed. Uh, it's a combination of the two-year and, of course, whether you want to call them bond vigilantes or anything else, they're doing a lot of the work right now while the Fed is able to just jawbone. Um, and then we see what happens uh, in March and whether or not it's 25 basis points or more. Um, I suspect we're going to see three 25 basis point moves, Mel. And if that is indeed the way we play out, then, yeah, bounce. Yeah, you're going to see a bounce and you're going to see them continuing from lower left to upper right. If, on the other hand, they overstep, they go too far too fast, and they really want to hit it with a club too hard, that's the risk. The Fed knows that's the risk. That's why they're just talking right now. So we switch from talking the talk to walking the walk in March, Mel. All right. Um, let's get to the moves that you guys are making. Uh, Steph, Apple, you're buying some more here. Why now? Well, I started, I've owned it for a very long time. Um, it's 7% of my benchmark, Mel, so it's big. And so I've been, I've owned it, but I've been underweight for a very long time. But after Black Friday, after Thanksgiving, I started adding on weakness. It kind of acts like a defensive technology name, right? Um, with $202 billion in cash, I think in April they're going to announce a $70 to $90 billion buyback program, increase the dividend as much as 5 to 7%. They can. They can actually buy back a ton of stock, 2 to 3% of the shares outstanding for the next three to four years if they want to, and I think that they will. So that's the defensive nature. Obviously, we know about the quarter. It was very strong. Services, I think, has a real shot at accelerating this year, give, driven by advertisements, driven by the App Store, and cloud. Um, these are all trends that we've been talking about for years on end, but I think it's going to gain more momentum this year. And the 10Q came out yesterday, and I feel really good about a 42% gross margin being sustainable. So 29 times is not exactly cheap, but I do like the defensive characteristics. And as you know, not only am I underweight Apple, when I'm now market weight, the name, um, I'm underweight tech in general. So I'm looking for quality tech that is on sale. And so I also added to NXPI after a phenomenal quarter, but I was buying I was adding to that after I sold Lamb Research a couple weeks ago, and they had a and NXPI had a terrific quarter, and Broadcom. So I'm trying to find quality names that have good trends, good end markets, momentum, um, and uh, at a better valuation given the pullback. All right, Dr. J, I want to go to you because you're making some moves in casinos and airlines. Yeah, well, um, we've been buying Mel for the last two weeks, both Jets as well as a number of individual airlines that we've traded, everything from Delta to United to American to JetBlue. Um, but holding on to Jets, it's now moved up from, I think, 1871 just about 10 days ago, up through 21 to the upside, broad market uh, airline ETF. Um, we're also seeing, you know, just a, a surge of buying in a number of these uh, areas. So whether it's a reopening play like Caesars, we're seeing that today, Mel whether it was uh, many of those same gaming companies last week and the week before, we are seeing that. People getting back in there and putting money back into those names in particular. Whether Adele does or does not um, show up in Vegas to do her residency, Mel, I think an awful lot of people are going to be going out there, and I think that that is going to be a significant driver. We've got the Pro Bowl this weekend. Pete and I will be out there covering the Super Bowl next week for Peacock. 
and a number of other uh, uh, streaming services. So I think Super Bowl, you couldn't have had a better setup for the Super Bowl as well as for Vegas than what has happened in the last two weeks, Mel. These games have been so exciting. Yeah. Um, Jason Snipe, I see that you haven't made any moves per se, but are there things on your shopping list um, at this point? Yeah. So, you know, for me, I've, the, you know, the way I'm looking at this year and the kind of the barbell approach going in is, you know, we like the value-oriented cyclical sectors. So we like the regionals. We like, you know, financials and, and obviously uh, healthcare. You know, healthcare is underperformed. It's still down about 7%. You know, we're looking for that return to preventative care and elective surgeries, which hopefully as this variant uh, continues to abate, especially in the, in the Northeast and across the country, uh, healthcare has, has some tailwinds to grow from here. And then, you know, as, as we look at uh, tech, you know, mega cap tech and, and obviously looking at the numbers, as I referenced earlier, you know, with Apple and Microsoft, Microsoft is, is an opportunity, I believe, you know, for us here. I think it's about a little over 10 percent. Uh, it's 52 week high, you know, and we really like the activation blizzard deal. So, you know, there, there are some names here that I think are, are that we're looking at. And also the other piece is the SMH. You know, the semi space has really gotten hammered early part of this year down about 15 percent so there's some names in the mix qualcomm is one that we really like here uh so so those are some of the some of the names and areas that we see as opportunity you know here uh in the in the short run yep and in the short run we are bracing for a lot more mega cap tech earnings alphabet's reporting after the bell today josh you own this one so what are you expecting what do you want to hear uh, if you look at the last quarter they reported, it was really a revelation. This is uh, a company that I think they have got eight uh, subsidiaries doing over a billion dollars uh, or more. It's, I think it's the only company actually uh, in the S&P 500 that can claim that. It's just extraordinary, uh, kind of becoming a Berkshire of, of the digital age. Um, the one overhang with this story right now is the transition from cookies which is going to be a global thing, uh, over to whatever the new de facto standard is for tracking users and, and selling data to marketers. And it's unclear that Alphabet ha or, or that Google has successfully figured that out. So I think that'll be an area that there are questions uh, from the analysts, and that'll be something that I'll be listening for. But I, I can't imagine you'll see anything but continued strength from the cloud unit, um, from YouTube, from search in general, uh, and as I've been talking about for a year and a half, Google has something that a lot of the fangs don't, which is a reopening component. Most travel starts with a Google search, for example, and there's a lot of associated ad revenue for that. Travel is one of the biggest contributors to ad revenue uh, for all of Google search properties. So uh, I think we'll hear good things. I'm long. I think the stock is undervalued, and I think it has the ability to outperform most of uh, the large cap NASDAQ names in 22. So fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Yeah, Steph, what are you looking for out of, out of Alphabet? Josh mentions a good point in terms of the, the exposure to travel, but also it's been a bellwether in terms of its ad revenue and how that tracks. 
Yeah, so I recently sold it. Um, I had made tremendous money on it. Just last year alone, it was up over 60%. So I took my gains and I added to Facebook. So Facebook mm. is my largest fang name. I actually only own two, two fangs at this point, Apple and, and, and Facebook. But on Alphabet, I think it's going to be fine. I, I, I mean, I really do. I think it's going to be strong. Um, and uh, I think they will see momentum in ads for sure. Travel, travel's about 15% of search. So it's meaningful, as Josh mentioned. Um, but I do wonder how they're going to focus on OPEX expenses in general. That had been a problem for the company for many, many years that they overspent to grow, by the way. And it's actually reaped a lot of rewards since then. But I wonder if you're going to get that operating leverage like you've seen over the last several quarters. And of course, we're all watching cloud, right? And the momentum that they're doing within cloud. We know that Microsoft had a very good number from Azure, uh, and they're talking about acceleration. So let's hear their commentary there. Great story, great company. I just prefer other fangs. Yeah. So Steph was buying Facebook. Uh, John sold his position a few months ago. So Dr. J, what are you looking for in terms of earnings? Meta, as it is known now, is reporting tomorrow. Um, Mel, the reason we got out of it was they just had so many uncertainties. Um, and they also had investigative issues as well as, of course, congressional testimony that didn't exactly go so well. So we're, we were out of it at about 340. I have not fully reloaded. I've traded it since, Mel, but I am not in the stock right now. Um, I applaud Steph for having the guts to get into it. Um, I have not seen the institutional impetus for me to get back into the stock other than just to trade it. So what do they need to do? Um, they, they really need to uh, show us how they're going to keep the company together, quite frankly, Mel, because there are going to be continued calls, just like Josh mentioned about uh, some regulatory uncertainty with Google. Same thing here, regulatory uncertainty. People know the power that these guys have, uh, and they're wondering how long do they let them hold on to that much of the Internet um, and whether or not they break them up um, if they do, I'd probably be a lot more interested, Mel. I get the regulatory uncertainty, but I feel like that's been a cloud that's hung over Facebook and now Meta for, for, forever, forever, basically. And that's just, yep. you know, one of those unknowns that investors mm -hmm. seem to live with and, and accept. But, you know, I personally want to hear more about the Meta in Meta. Jason, and what those plans are and, and when that's going to be monetized. If you were forced to choose, Jason, Meta or, or Alphabet right now? It's a good one. So I, I would say, obviously, Facebook is, is uh, you know, trading at a discount. I think they're trading at 22 times now. They always benefit from controversy. And I, I hear John and his point on kind of the regulatory headwinds. That's always been, uh, you know, in their face. I mean, for a long time, I should say. Um, but I, I actually like Google here. I think, you know, as Josh pointed out, you know, search, uh, the cloud, there's just there's just a lot of catalysts for the stock. And they've just reported very well over the last several quarters. And, I, you know, there will always be a view of kind of where where their enterprise spend is going on the VR and AR. But I think Google, I think Google is, is the one here, although it's had a great year last year, as Steph mentioned earlier, up 65 percent, you know, in 2021. But, um, yeah, I like Google. I think Google Google's the one for me. That'd be my right. pick. Uh, we've got a flood of earnings after the bell. GM, PayPal, Starbucks, among them, all three will, they are well off their highs. We'll get the trade ahead of the results. Halftime is back in two.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has spoken with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov. Blinken said that Russia should pull its troops back from Ukraine now if it doesn't plan an invasion. Lavrov repeated his charge that the U.S. and its allies are ignoring Russia's national security concerns. The NCAACP, the NAACP rather, is urging the Justice Department to bring federal civil rights charges against the white former Chicago police officer who killed black teenager Laquan McDonald, shooting him 16 times. Jason Van Dyke is scheduled to be released from prison on Thursday after serving three years in prison following his conviction of murdering McDonald. Traffic deaths in the U.S. shot up 12 percent in the first nine months of last year. That is the biggest nine-month rise in records going back to 1975. It's also the largest number of Americans killed on roads in that period since 2006. And the NFL is funding research into the use of cannabinoids and CBD for the use of pain management. The league has awarded two grants worth a million dollars. The three-year project will also study possible benefits in preventing concussions. You're now up to date. Melissa, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. General Motors gearing up to report earnings after the Bell shares are down more than 20 percent from recent highs. Phil LeBeau is here with more on what investors need to watch. Phil. Melissa, the numbers coming out will be for the fourth quarter and for all of 2021. But let's be clear. We are not expecting any news that's going to make the stock move relative to Q4 results. Remember, they raised their guidance at the beginning of December. So we expect it to be pretty close to a buck 19 a share. Don't be surprised if they blow past a buck 19. That's not going to move the stock. What will? 2022 guidance. Do they expect a strong sales recovery? And what do they say about chip supply and inflation? Two topics that will get a lot of attention during the analyst call. As you take a look at shares of General Motors, remember that like other automakers, it has said for some time now they expect inventory of vehicles being produced and built to slowly rebuild throughout the rest of 2022. So that'll be a a fair amount of the focus for Mary Barra during the analyst call. She's also going to be talking, obviously, about General Motors' EV ramp up. This is a huge year for General Motors. They've got the Ultium battery plant in Lordstown, Ohio, that's going to be coming online. They're going to be having several models really start uh, into substantial production. And this is why. 
We know that EVs are going to be growing to more than 2 million in annual sales for the industry here in the United States by 2025. Don't forget, tomorrow morning, you do not want to miss our first on CNBC interview with Mary Barra. We'll be talking with her during Squawk on the Street, not only about the Q4 results, which, again, are not going to be the main focus today. It's really the guidance. And, guys, that's what everybody is going to be keying in on this afternoon. This is a massive ramp up in the EV, Phil. I mean, obviously, that's what investors want to hear about, particularly after hearing Tesla say that they're not going to introduce new vehicles this year because right. of the concerns about the about the supply chain. I mean, Tesla has shown that it's been nimble in dealing with supply chain issues and GM yep. not as much. Correct. None of the automakers with regard to yeah. Tesla. Tesla has been far more nimble, though you're starting to hear more discussion about the, the struggle for chips and for dealing with different components and the supply chain issues, you're hearing more of that discussion from Tesla than we did, let's say, two quarters ago when you really heard it from Ford and GM. And we'll hear from Ford later this week uh, as well regarding what's happening with the supply chain and the, the chip issue that has really been hampering this entire industry. Yeah. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Josh Brown, um, what do you want to hear from GM? I, th- I think uh, everything that Phil said will be meaningful. I really feel like this story entirely hinges upon whether or not they can actually deliver the Silverado uh, EV, which is really, we're not going to know for sure how that rollout goes until the fall of 2023. Um, but Ford's, uh, Ford's Lightning version of the F-150 and Chevy's EV version of the Silverado might be one of the biggest stories in the history of automotive rollouts. Like, this is really going to be a test of so many things, not just whether or not these automakers can and should do things like, for example, build their own batteries, um, but can the workforce that's been trained uh, to, to build internal combustion engines actually make this transition and start building electric vehicles in places like Lansing, Michigan, for example? Very big story. What happens with the dealer network? Will these companies have the guts to tell the dealers, hey, we're going to sell these direct to consumer the way Tesla does, and we don't actually need you guys as much for the new products. That's going to be contentious. And then just this idea of how, much, how many fewer components there are to these trucks and what that means to these supply chains and, and what that means to all the, the various union coverage of all of these components that need to be made. So I think the next two years will be an absolutely transformative moment. And I think GM in particular has a lot going for it as we make this transition. They seem to have been early, uh, you know, versus the other OEMs. And they seem to really be focused on spending the Mm -hmm. most amount of money on this transition. So I'm an investor here, not a trader. I'm up in the stock. I'm staying with it. I think they're going to win. A lot is riding on, on EV, Dr. J. I mean, in 2020 was a year of re-rating of these auto names based on EV ambitions. 2021, at least for GM, effectively was sort of a dead year, uh, a show-me year for GM. You've placed your bets, Dr. J, on Ford. It is more expensive, but why Ford over GM? Um, well, uh, the bet is more isolated, Mel than the spread out as, over as many products as GM has. Uh, that was one reason. And it's outperformed. GM in the last six mm-hmm. months is up 77%. Ford's up double. It's up uh, double that. Um, that's why I'm sticking with it. Um, to answer Josh's question, at least so far anyway, 
um, we know that they're going to deal with the dealer network. They're not going to cut out the dealers. Um, I have an F-150 um, bid out there, and it was through a dealer. It had to be. Yeah, you made it online, but then immediately you connect up with a dealer. Um, that's another reason why I own Tesla, because they don't have that those legacy costs and somebody else basically taking the lion's share of the profit off the table. Uh, but Josh's point is well-founded. Um, there will be uh, uh, a lot of hell to pay, Mel, if indeed you start cutting out dealers that right now contractually have the rights to sell those vehicles and you go direct to consumer with them. That's going to be might, very interesting. I don't think if, either if, of these are ready for that fight. Josh? Yeah, I, I agree with John. They, I agree with John. They may not have a point. Because, like, they're going to sell the fully loaded RST version of the Silverado, for example, mm -hmm. uh, I think at a price point of like $106,000. You can do that right now because you're betting that the person buying the first edition of an EV, uh, Chevy, or even Ford truck, for that matter, is like a, a wealthy person who just wants it because it's new and it's the first thing. The novelty eventually wears off when there are 10 luxury pickup trucks on the market from companies from Rivian to Chevy to Ford. And then all of a sudden, uh, price becomes more important and capacity and how many vehicles you could sell and volumes become the story. And when that does become the story, you will see the next generation uh, automakers who don't have that legacy dealer network be a lot more flexible uh, when they go direct to consumer. And that actually might be something that hampers the traditional American OEMs. And the stuff that we're talking about is going to play out over like a decade. So I don't know that that's immediately important to whether or not these stocks can work, for example, in 2022. I just point these issues out because I think they're going to have a, a, a bigger impact later. Yeah, the F-150 is one of the one of uh, the best selling vehicles in the United States of America. And I think the key in terms of the electrified one is do you start seeing these at construction sites? Are they actually being used in day-to-day in -day life? Jason Snipe, you know, you, you, you're taking a look at all these, uh, you know, legacy automakers trying to get into the space, and then you take a look at a Tesla. And granted, the valuation is a totally different league, but it's 25% off of its high. Is that a discount? Is that a value here? It's a good question, Mel. I'm, unfortunately, I have had a lot of trouble trying to value uh, Tesla, which I think a lot of people do. But, yeah, 25% you know, off its 52 week. Um, you know, I think I, I go back to what J a point Josh made earlier. I think some of these names, you know, might not travel back to, you know, where they originally were. But I think Tesla has has managed, you know, the EV space very well. Obviously, they're they benefit from being a first mover. So, you know, it, it's something I've traded around in years past. But, you know, it, it could be an opportunity here. It, it definitely could be an opportunity here. And, and kind of hearing the commentary around GM, you know, I think Tesla has, has managed their operation very well. And, uh, you know, there, there could be continued upside from here. So, yeah, I think I think it, it, it could be opportunity for sure. Well, let's check out this mystery chart here. While the major averages have struggled, this stock has rallied double digits since the start of this year. And it just got a new bullish call on the street. We'll discuss it in our call of the day next on Halftime. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
while what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Wells Fargo upgraded to overweight at Atlantic Equities, the firm raising its price target to 60 from 50. It's their call of the day. Steph, you own this one. I do. It is my largest bank holding uh, by far. I, obviously, the analyst is late. The stock was up 60% in 21. It's up 14% year to date, but better late than never because it's, it's still cheap at 1.3 times book. Um, and the restructuring is kind of just getting legs, Mel. Um, it's getting momentum. The expense guide was really good at their last quarter, about $51.5 billion versus 53 last year, so year over year, getting better. And the gross savings could be something like $10 billion for the company versus $8 billion initially guided to. Loan growth is definitely there. Uh, it has more to go, I think. But the, the real reason you own this is because it's the most sensitive to rates. Every 50 basis point increase in Fed funds is about 16 percent to earnings and 7 percent to net interest income. So good quarter. Momentum is there. Uh, I think we haven't even heard about the asset cap lift, and that'll be a positive, a real positive when that occurs. Oh, and by the way, they just increased their dividend uh, two weeks ago. So I still like it. I like the call, I guess. Should we assume, Josh Brown, that the environment will be a positive one, constructive one for financials? I think that depends on the degree to which the yield curve actually steepens. The problem with this story over the last week is that actually we're seeing that yield curve flatten. The market does not believe economic growth will be nearly as robust a year out as it's been over the last year. Uh, and, and so... It makes it a little bit difficult for a lot of the traditional financial stocks to continue the rallies they've seen. That said, I think the consumer stays strong. I think construction stays strong. Um, I think there'll be tons of capital markets activity on Wall Street, everything from uh, lending to trading to M&A. So I would not run away from the sector. Uh, and I still think there's a lot of value in names like J.P. Morgan at the current levels. All right, coming up, John is tracking unusual activity. His latest trades are next on the Halftime Report. Time for unusual activity. So, John, what are you seeing in the options market? Well, Mel, uh, we're seeing unusual call buying in upstart 
this is, of course, an AI lending platform. Um, and when you look at what we just talked about, the banks with like Wells Fargo and lending and all the thousands, tens of thousands of people it takes to run those businesses, this one, Mel, they only have 500 employees in the whole firm. So uh, the stock was 118.50, I think. They're buying the 120s that expire in three days. So again, discipline is very important, folks. You got to take profits and or cut losses quickly, but they're not asking for a huge move for this one to pay off. Second one, Sirius Satellite Radio, S-I-R-I. They're buying the June 7s. The stock was about 650, I believe, Mel. Um, and they were buying those June 7s. I already showed uh, 6,000 of those changing hands. It might be a lot more by now. I like that trade. You have a lot of time to be right. I'm in both of these positions, Mel. All right. Well, up next, Ask Halftime. So send in your questions by video. We'll play them on air. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. The Investment Committee is answering your questions. Sarah in Ohio writes, Hi, I'm retired. Live off my dividends. My GM stock sold on a stop order, preserving my 70% gain. Good for you, Sarah. What should I buy for dividend income? That is a good question. Jason, what do you tell her? Yeah, it's a nice gain. So for me, uh, P&G, I like P&G here. You know, 2.2% yield. You know, in the latest quarter, organic sales are up about 6%. But I really saw how they've managed this you know, inflationary environment. So they, they really demonstrated really strong pricing power. So P&G would be the pick for me. Yeah. And Steph, you're talking about J&J at the very top. And here you go again, J&J, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's a two and a half percent yield. It's been growing that yield consistently every year uh, in, in addition to buying back stock. But they, you have the state of the art pharma company, double digit growth. They've got 19 novel drugs in their pipeline, anywhere from a billion to five billion in peak sales in oncology, uh, especially. That's their strength. They have a med tech business that's recovering and will continue to recover. And they're going to spin out the consumer. So I think they're doing all the right things. Um, and I think it's a name you can kind of sleep at night with. Not a lot of not a lot of volatility, not a lot of beta. Josh Brown, what do you like for dividends? Yeah. So just just to be clear, like I don't I don't give advice to the public. And when I talk, it's about what I personally am doing. And my favorite dividend holding currently is for myself is Invitation Homes. So it's INVH is the ticker. Basically, this is a company that's got 80,000 single-family homes in its portfolio that it rents out, 16 markets, mostly in the West and in Florida, all in places where uh, its rental costs are lower than it would cost to actually own the single-family home. I had the CEO and founder, Dallas Tanner, on my podcast last year. If you want to learn more about what he's building, I would urge you to listen to that. I think this is a very durable name, and I think it's got a built-in inflation protection because rates can be, uh, ra- uh, rents can be raised when needed as uh, costs in the economy go up. So I am long INVH. Dr. J, how do you think about dividends? Because you can take any stock and sort of create your own dividend in a way with buy right strategy. You're exactly right, Mel. Um, so... You know, I would pick big, safe stocks like Apple to do that. But for this question in particular, Mel, and because of my outlook for energy right now, um, with the demand exceeding the supply, I think ExxonMobil 4.6% dividend yield, uh, as you very accurately said, uh, you can 
turn that into a 20 plus percent return just by selling upside calls against it. Um, having a stock with, you know, that kind of demand, uh, I think, really behooves you to pay attention to what the numbers are. And if you're somebody that gets the hang of options, turning this thing into that cash flow, as Mr. Wonderful likes to say, um, is something that I would highly recommend. All right. Coming up, equity and opportunity, a close-up look at black spending. Plus, we've got your final trades. Back in two. Missed the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast. Welcome back to Halftime Equity and Opportunity. Frank Holland joins us with a closer look at the growth in black spending power. Frank. Hey there, Melissa. Black spending power reached a record $1.6 trillion in 2021. The ability to buy, save, and invest more than doubling since 2000. That growth exceeding the full U.S. economy, but actually lagging other ethnic groups. Latinos with a more than 280% increase. Asians with a more than 300 380% rise in their spending power. However, other groups have also seen an increase in their net worth. Black Americans instead have seen their wealth actually fall by 14 percent with the emergence of crypto, NFTs and other alternative investments and the 27 percent rise in the S&P last year. Many black leaders are calling on the community to invest more in the markets. I would love to see us spend more money in the stock market instead of uh, buying the hottest new thing buy the stock of the hottest new thing. And that's something that is something that you can also pass down generation to generation. Think about building wealth systematically. So to really actually go through a process, it doesn't take much to think about where you need to be putting your money. Where Where is your opportunities? Home ownership is the primary way that most Americans build wealth, but black home ownership, that's, that's actually fallen 3% since 2000. And annually, black families accumulate $300 billion less in wealth than white families. They also save $75 billion less dollars, the racial wealth gap now, at more than $11 trillion. It seems like there's more awareness within the community, Frank, of this problem of declining wealth. I mean, it's interesting that uh, when you take a look at new crypto investors, a lot of them are black. They Blacks seem to be more open to crypto, for instance. But do experts have other thoughts on how to how to stop this trend and, and get the word out that you got to do something with your money in order to yeah. stop this decline in wealth? You know, absolutely, Melissa. I mean, simply allocating more capital to Assets that have the potential to increase in value, things like homes, and we've seen that ownership decline, also stocks, bonds, etc. But long term, there's also some systemic reasons for this wealth disparity that need to be addressed. All right. Frank Holland with a very important story. Thank you. Thank you. Final trades are up next on the Halftime Report. Busy night of earnings after the bell. Uh, Starbucks, John, you own calls here. I do own calls here, Mel. Um, I don't think they can pass on any additional costs to consumers without losing those consumers. So in other words, Mel, I don't see a lot of upside from the stock perspective. So I will be loading in calls at the money, not out of the money in this one. AMD is also reporting that's going to be really uh, important for the chip sector as a whole, Steph. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the stock has really gotten hit year, year to date. Um, and the problem is it trades a 43 times earnings. So I think I like, I like the semiconductor space very much, but I would prefer NXPI um, and even LAM Research if it were to pull back further from here. Yeah, and Jason, you're mentioning you, you would dip your toe into some of the semi-stocks. AMD might be important for the sector. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very important print. I really like Qualcomm and NVIDIA. They've been the long-term holds for here for me, but I think this is a very important print just to get the gauge of, of the marketplace as it relates to the semis. Full coverage of all these earnings, plus Alphabet, of course, tonight on Fast Money at 5. And then don't forget, tomorrow on Squawk on the Street, AMD and Starbucks, the CEOs will be on there. All right, final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Stephanie Link, what do you say? One of the names I've been adding to that we didn't get to, Caterpillar. Fourth quarter was very good in terms of top line, up 23%, a 600 basis point beat. Supply chains hit their margins, but they're not seeing any refill in their dealer channel. I like this story, and I like the setup for 22. Jason. Uh, UNH, healthcare has really been struggling. UNH is down about 8%, but it was a really strong quarter. Nice top line growth and margin expansion. Stay long, UNH. Josh Brown. Tonight, we're going to hear from Starbucks about demand and foot traffic at at, uh, coffee shops. I'm not sure if that's why Dutch Bros is rallying so hard today, Uh, perhaps, but uh, I'm happy to be in this name. It's one of the few growth stocks I have that's green year to date. Quick, Dr. J. Triple Q, 375 calls, Mel. Bottom. Uh, See on Fast Money. Exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.